With USDA set to spend billions on supporting climate-smart agriculture, it's time for progressive farmers to understand the lay of the land, including the risks and opportunities. That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Just in the last year or so, Congress and the USDA have determined to spend more than $3 billion on what's being called climate-smart agriculture, including projects and pilots carried out by private companies and nonprofits to help support the ag industry in its efforts to improve soil health and reduce negative impacts on the planet. Progressive farmer reporters and editors have been keeping a close eye on the evolution of climate-smart policy and spending, and are bringing their reporting together in the November issue of the Progressive Farmer magazine, the Climate Smart Issue. Content manager Anthony Greeter joins us this week to discuss the intention behind these stories, what trends are emerging, and how DTN is supporting these efforts. He'll talk carbon markets, weather resiliency, conservation programs, and what the heck Climate Smart even means right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Senior Vice President for Customer Engagement, Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next farm bill and the farm bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the agriculture department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. DTN Managing Editor Anthony Greeter joins us today to discuss the 2022 Climate Smart issue of Progressive Farmer, hitting your mailboxes in just a few days. Anthony, what was the background on deciding to do this issue now and how from the editorial side, you all decided to tackle talking about Climate Smart? Sure. So over the past few years, we've been doing a lot of reporting on various 
extreme weather events like, uh, for example, the drought that hit the northern plains last year and really affected the soft red winter wheat crop. And it's moved further south this year into the southern plains. Just recently, scientists also pointed out that the drought in the western U.S. is the worst it's been in about 1,200 years. Other events like some pretty severe flooding along the rivers last few years, and of course a derecho in the Midwest that had a pretty devastating effect on some crops. So I think we were curious about how farmers are dealing with these more extreme weather events. We didn't really get into the science behind climate change or the debate over that in this issue. It's more looking specifically at how farmers are dealing with these more extreme events that seem to be occurring more regularly. And then also just this past year, of course, there was the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act in August. And part of that included $19.5 billion in spending on climate-smart agriculture practices. And then a little bit later in the year, the USDA also announced a $1 billion pilot program called the Partnership for Climate Smart Commodities that provides funds for different projects for different groups and that are working with climate-smart agriculture. So we were just curious, I think, about what climate smart agriculture means and means to farmers. We wanted to delve a little deeper in explaining all the mechanics of what that process involves or what that movement involves. And then there's also a lot of opportunities, I think, for farmers to get some extra income out of a lot of these programs. And then, yeah, so that was that was the major reasons for looking more into this. I wonder if you can start us off by just providing a little bit of a definition. I think farmers hear so much regenerative ag, sustainable ag, different practices. There's so many kind of, there's a whole new vocabulary, it feels like, to talk about this stuff. When DTN talks about climate smart ag, what does that mean to you all? So we started out with the definition that the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations has for climate smart farming or climate smart agriculture. And that is that it's an approach to help people who manage agricultural systems respond effectively to climate change. And there are three basic approaches to climate smart agriculture. The first is sustainably increasing productivity and incomes. The second is adapting to climate change. And then the third is reducing greenhouse gas emissions where possible. So we started off with that definition. And then really looked at what the practical implications are for farmers in each of those areas. What practices can they implement that would help them better adapt and respond to some of the extreme climate changes? And also, what can they do as their part to help prevent the release of carbon into the atmosphere, into the environment? It feels like Climate Smart in particular came uh, not least because USDA has really focused on using that term. You mentioned the additional funds that the department has made available. I think we see those kind of eye-popping numbers that USDA is spending. What are those projects? What do they look like and who is leading them? Well, that's a good question. There are really a wide range of projects from crop production to livestock production, just a whole range of commodity group, businesses, individuals, states, 
it's really a big, wide collection of organizations and people involved in those. And uh, DTN is involved in, in one of those partnerships. It is called Farmers for Soil Health Climate Smart Commodities Partnership. And that one, that specific project is receiving up to $95 million to accelerate long-term cover crop adoption. And that's just one example of the dozens of projects that have been approved through that program. I'd love to move into talking a little bit about the specifics of this issue. There's a number of really interesting stories happening. I think with that definition of climate smart you shared, there's a specific focus on kind of the economics. It seems like a lot of the articles that are in this issue as well talk about that, both the risks on the climate side, but also the potential opportunities for farmers. So I wonder if you could offer some of maybe the thinking behind the stories that you all decided to cover specifically in this issue. Yeah, I think what we found is that climate smart farming means something different to about everybody, and they don't all use the same terminology. In fact, climate smart farming really maybe wasn't a term that a lot of them used. It was either sustainable or just talking about soil health or regenerative agriculture. But I think the common theme, trying to make their land more sustainable, preserving it for future generations, just making it more resilient, I think, to the extreme weather conditions that we're increasingly experiencing. And then, of course, boosting profits where they can. The reasons for, I guess, improving their soil quality was another reason a lot of people are involved in the various climate smart programs because it involves a lot of things like cover crops and no-till, conservation practices like that. So I think there's really a lot of benefits that the farmers see both for themselves and for the environment, for their neighbors, their family. It's a whole lot of benefits. I appreciate that you brought up the word resiliency. I think that is a really important part of this whole conversation. And I think both Matt Wildey's piece in this edition and Todd Neely's on Weather Ready Farms really speak to that question of it's not just about carbon markets and potentially earning additional revenue streams. It's also just about mitigating risk and hopefully creating more opportunity to have a good season. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that kind of resiliency risk mitigation aspect of the whole climate smart subject. Sure. As many of the farmers we talked to pointed out, there are things that are obviously out of their control and weather is one of those. So while a lot of these climate smart practices can't completely prevent things from happening, they can make it help them crops and the land become a little more resilient to some of these events. So for example, one of the farmers that Matt Willie talked to was planting cover crops in addition to his no-till. And he noticed that it was really helping with the water infiltration on his land and water retention after larger rains. Whereas if he hadn't had cover crops, he probably would have lost a lot of his topsoil. So I think it gives farmers a little bit of peace of mind when extreme weather happens, whether that's drought or flooding. So while it won't completely eliminate all of the risks, it will, I think, I guess it helped give them a little bit more peace of mind and a little bit more control over what's going on with their operations. 
I want to touch on the other side of that too. There is a couple of different articles in this edition about kind of the carbon opportunity, both carbon credits and then kind of carbon markets and what that looks like. And I know that has been a very, I'm going to say exciting space for farmers as they think about potentially some new revenue streams. But yeah, there's also a lot of uncertainty there. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, yeah, just how that whole conversation is shaping up. Yeah, so carbon markets, as one source that Chris Clayton talked to called it, it's a little bit of the Wild West out there still. I think a lot of companies are trying to get a handle on how to actually measure how much carbon is being sequestered and then how much to pay for that. But there are a lot of companies out there right now that are offering these carbon credit programs for farmers. And how each one handles it is a little bit different. Some pay by the acre, some pay by metric ton, and then some pay by what practices the farmer is doing. And they all have different rules, payment plans, requirements, and then they're enrolling farmers based on their commodities and also region of the country. So right now there's a lot of variability in the programs. There's not one standard for carbon markets right now in the United States. There was some legislation passed in the U.S. Senate in 2021 called the Growing Climate Solutions Act that allowed USDA to set some standards for carbon markets and also to create a certification program. But as of right now, that legislation was stalled in the House of Representatives. So it's still, there's a lot of I guess, variability out there in programs. But I think Chris Clayton looked at what farmers should consider when they're thinking about whether to participate in these programs. He does mention some of the pitfalls to watch out for, but then also talks about some of the benefits, financial benefits, and otherwise that farmers can gain from joining these programs. Conservation programs also were a bit of a focus here. I think when people think about conservation programs, it's usually in the context of Farm Bill, Equip, maybe CRP. Talk a little bit, if you can, about just how maybe our perspectives changing there on how to participate or what participation means. Give us a conservation update for this issue. Yeah, well, there are a good number of farmers who have already been practicing a lot of these different strategies for conservation for a while now. And I think this kind of gives them some validation for what they've been doing, but also gives farmers who have maybe been a little cautious about implementing some of these practices a little bit of incentive to try them out through the financial incentives that are being offered through the various climate smart programs that are being offered by USDA and other private companies. So I think what... I think the benefits of a lot of these practices are gaining a little bit more attention now. Those who've been practicing it different strategies for quite a while now know what the benefits are to their soil fertility and water retention, things like that. But I think the whole climate smart farming has brought a little bit more attention to how this can also be helping the environment as a whole through sequestering more carbon in the soil and preventing the release of more carbon into the atmosphere. 
I'm curious, as you were reading through the articles in this month's issue, any did anything jump out at you as maybe something really interesting that you hadn't heard of before or just something surprising or anything that readers might be surprised to find as they leave through the stories? I think what struck me the most was just farmers' attitude about this. I know we we hear a lot, I guess, in the farming community about some of the doubts about climate change and uh, was it is this a new phenomenon or is this sort of like something cyclical that's been happening throughout the earth's history but i think really a lot of the farmers we talk to are looking past that and just feeling like this is something that a lot of these practices are, are something that they would want to do anyway to improve their bottom line or to preserve their land for their children and grandchildren. And I think they're seeing this as just another kind of validation or another way to earn a little extra money sometimes out of implementing some of these practices that they would otherwise be doing anyway. And yeah, it was just, I think it's interesting how everybody has their own view of what climate smart farming is or regenerative farming, but that there are a lot of common threads there that a lot of these farmers have. And I feel like part of that conversation is, you touched on it there a little bit, is some of these practices becoming maybe even business as usual. I think conservation tillage is the poster child of that, maybe. I think if you just look at USDA's data, more than 50% of farmers are doing some kind of conservation tillage. I think it's become a lot less fringe of a practice. I think Maybe cover crops are seeing a little bit more of that as well, but not everywhere. I wonder if you just see, as you look maybe to the future of this conversation, do you see maybe Climate Smarter or some amount of the practices that are included under that umbrella becoming pretty common, pretty standard in the industry? I think so. I think it's going to become harder and harder to ignore some of the effects that we're seeing with the extreme weather. Whether or not we all agree on the science, it's pretty hard to ignore all of the, like the derecho that went through Iowa a couple summers ago that flattened a lot of crops or the drought in the western parts of the country right now, the floods. It's getting harder and harder to ignore the effects of those extreme events. So I think, yeah, farmers are going to have to find ways to make their farms more resilient to these events. And also, I know there was just a release from the Environmental Defense Fund a few days ago, pointing out that climate change is expected to drag down corn, soybean, and wheat harvests by 2030. And they attribute that to climate change. So I think as the climate gradually changes, Over the coming years, farmers are going to have to also make some changes to adapt to that, uh, which historically they've always been good at adapting to change, whether that's new insect or weed pests or kind of having new varieties of crops to plant. I think farmers have always been at the forefront of adapting to to changes in the environment or just the land. and various changing needs of the overall population of the country. I wonder if you could say a little bit more on that. I think that is the 
kind of consumer perspective and public interest maybe part of this whole conversation is maybe part of the climate smart idea that doesn't get talked about as much in agriculture circles. But I wonder if you could talk about how what consumers are interested in is playing into the larger conversations here. Right. So that is a big driver of climate smart agriculture as well is the customer. I know there's a lot uh, more expectation now from customers for crops to be sustainably produced. And a lot of that, I think farmers are already doing, but I think it seems like people are paying more attention to where their food comes from and how it's produced and are expecting more of a more responsibly produced crops and livestock. So yeah, they are, consumers are definitely, I think, driving a lot of this push for more sustainably produced crops and livestock. I always like to open it up at the end of my interviews. Is there any upcoming stories or topics that you're excited to learn more about in the next couple of months that readers should be on the lookout for? Just along the climate smart farming topic, we will be continuing to follow that on the DTN websites. There's always new information coming out. And as I mentioned earlier, it's still a little bit of a wild west in the carbon market. So as that evolves over the years, we're going to be following that and making sure that farmers have the best information available to them to be able to make informed decisions about which of these programs will help them out. We're also closely monitoring the levels on the river system. Mississippi River levels is a big issue right now. Mary Kennedy, our cash grains analyst, has been closely monitoring transportation issues on the river. So we'll be paying a close eye to that, how that's affecting the grain markets in the midst of harvest here and deliveries of fertilizer and things like that up the river. Also on the ag policy front, Chris Clayton is also watching how the upcoming election is going to affect agriculture. If we have any changeovers in Congress, how that might affect the different ag committees, other committees. So those are some big issues that will be coming up soon. You can read the full Climate Smart issue and catch up on up-to-the-minute reporting on all things production ag with the DTN Progressive Farmer magazine and online at dtnpf.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to Anthony Greeter. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of agriculture is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.